on today's episode, for our opening segment, we have a quiz about beer. We talk about Sleepless in Seattle for our main discussion, and we introduce the topic of our next episode, Frank Sinatra's In the Wee Small Hours. Hello, and welcome to The Culture Quest. We are but humble adventurers, and today, I have a really good feeling about this episode. I, I, I just know it. It's going to be like magic. magic. Man, what a coincidence. All of us saying the same <laughs> word at the same time like that, huh? Oh, <laughs> Must be some sort of a sign or something. <laughs> With me, as always, are Peter. Hello. And Mario. Hello. And I am a nun. Thank you, the listeners at home, for taking part in our noble quest. Today, uh, sadly, we're finishing off our rom-com saga with Sleepless in Seattle from 1993. Uh, what a ride, man. We've done Clueless, Love Actually, When Harry Met Sally, and now this. Uh, but before we do that, let's do that game and quizzes segment we sometimes have. Or is this a drink thing? It's, it's, it's somewhere in between. So, today I've prepared a, a beer country of origin quiz. Before we start, let me quickly tell you about something that happened to me a few years ago. I told that story a few days ago, and that is where the, the idea for the quiz came from. About, I think, 10 years ago, I was in this uh, music festival in Slovenia. It's called Metal Days. It's like six days of live shows. And, you know, the, as, as they do in, like, music festivals, they had beer stands everywhere which sold, like, one or two types of beer. But there was this one big beer stand somewhere in there which had, like, a huge selection of beers, like, mostly bottled beers. And instead of a menu, they had this huge map of the world hanging on the wall on which they marked where the beers they were serving came from. So you could choose like a beer by the country of origin of the beer. For example, like I like Pilsners, which I think are Czech beers. So, you know, you could choose a beer from uh, the Czech Republic and going by that. And my friend and I didn't really know what beer we wanted to go for. So we asked the guy who worked there uh, to surprise us with like something European and, and something that's not totally well known, like something a bit more obscure. Um, and he got us a, a couple of beers. I'm not certain which beer it was. I don't remember what it was called. But, you know, we sat there, we, we drank the beer, it really wasn't that great. And as I was drinking it, I was reading the label, as you do, I didn't really pay much attention to anything uh, about it. Everything seemed perfectly fine. I suddenly realized that, like, the label I was reading on that bottle of beer was all in Hebrew. Mm. I'm used to having labels on bottles in Hebrew coming from Israel, so I didn't notice it was weird. But sitting in Slovenia, drinking beer from some European country, a brand of beer I never heard of, you shouldn't be expecting to see Hebrew, a Hebrew label on the beer. Mm. Uh, but anyway, it turns out that that brand of beer was, was made in Israel, not far from huh. where I lived at the time, just kind of branded under this kind of European brand. Well, kind of a weird coincidence. Anyway, the, the quiz is going to be uh, very simple. I'll, I'll give you a brand of beer. You tell me where it's from. There are some beers who've switched like places at some point, so try and, and get both countries if you know them. Okay. I have one example. I think I have like 10 beer brands to ask you about. I try mm. to vary the countries and not to stick to just one place, but there are some repeats, and uh, you guys are going to work together, right? You don't want to make it a competition. Yes. We're pacifist bastards. Yeah. yeah so 10 being the best, <laughs> one being the worst. Yes. Maybe maybe I'll get zero. Who knows? <laughs> True. <laughs> I didn't even think about the possibility of getting a zero. <laughs> yeah, it's not a, it's not a scale. 
<laughs> it's just a coincidence that it's up to 10. <laughs> yes. So, for example, maybe the easiest I could think about. Where is Guinness from? Ah, I, so I think I've actually been to the Guinness factory. Oh, really? Um, yeah, when when I was young, I, um, I, when I mean young, I mean, you know, like four or five. Oh, really? We went there <laughs> and we got this tiny little like shot glass. It's a shot glass, but the... The look of it is like a Stein glass. You guys know what a Stein is, yeah. right? That's a mm-hmm. common term, yeah. And um, so, they'd fill that up and I'd have that, like, which is, yes, technically alcohol for a kid, but that's fine. <laughs> that's, that's all in the past, statute of limitations. And um, But we, we also got this little, it's like a, not quite a, a sphere, but it was like an oblong kind of 3D shape and it had like a little bit in the middle with Guinness in it. So, it was like, I don't know how they got the Guinness in there. It's kind of like an olive with the olive pit being Guinness and the olive <laughs> is glass. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, there's probably some cool manufacturing thing you do or... Yeah. I don't know. Maybe yeah. there was a seam or something like that. But it looked like stunning. And I don't know. It's just... It's a very cool thing for a kid to see like yeah. something like that. Like, uh-huh. how the hell was that made? So, yeah. No. I, I Fun memories. But I'm pretty sure I know where it is. Um, I'm not sure if you know Barrio, but I, I would have to say Ireland. Mm-hmm. Guinness is a stout that was introduced in 1759 in Dublin, Ireland. Oh, this one was an example. You don't get a score for this. Oh, but no. well done. I feel cheated. I do. Uh, Guinness, cheated. I can't give you Guinness. It's 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 the easiest one. Because Guinness <laughs> is a, is an Irish name because you drink it in St. Patrick's Day because it's Dublin on the on the label. <laughs> I've been to Dublin a few years ago. I've been to the Guinness Brewery. And, like, I, I wanted to get, like, a, a souvenir from there, but uh, there was nothing really interesting. Like, you know, a bunch of bottles of beer and stuff, but eventually I got myself, like, this bottle of, like, steak sauce that is based on Guinness beer, which was really, really good. I really enjoyed it. Mm. I should have gotten more than, more than one. But let's start keeping score. Question one. Where is Bex from? Oh, okay. Oh. Uh, I think I know Barrio, but I, it is a guess, but... I, I know the label. I've had it before. Um, do you know it? Uh, no. No idea. Well, my like the thing is, this game is actually good for me because my whole beer thing, like in, in Australia, like craft beer getting quite big, taking off. And the thing with craft beer is, I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before, but craft beer is mainly pale ales or ales because that is it's just the easier beer to make. So if you're starting out small you know, you start at pale ale, you know, you don't go straight to lager or pilsner. Yeah. But the thing is, I don't really like ales, so I go for pilsners, which means automatically, like, there's less craft beers. So, you st- sort of go for the more internationals. And with the internationals, internationals actually skew more lager, I think, that because Australia is pretty hot in general. So, that's where the ales come in, I think, and speculating a little bit. But lagers are very um, popular in sort of Germany and stuff. So, from a more of a globalistic perspective, I I think I have a pretty good idea of most common like beers in the international section. But I'll mention that I I totally went for like big brands. I didn't want to go for the obscure like yeah. uh, boutique stuff. Yeah, it should be in my ballpark. Honestly, if someone asked me where Bex is from and it wasn't in a quiz, I would be pretty confident <laughs> locking in Germany. But because it is a quiz, I, I start to have these doubts where it's like, 
Germany, like I get, I do get mixed up sometimes between like Germany and like Holland and stuff. But I would have to say it's Germany, to be honest. Uh, Barry, do you have any objections? Mm. Do you have like a feeling it's it might not be from Germany? I have a feeling it's not from Germany, but I really don't know. It, the reason I thought it was is because I remember having it and like someone told me like where it's from or like, I read where it's from on the label and I was like, oh, interesting because Bex is a very like maybe even like an English kind of name, something you like a very simple maybe American or English name. Like I wouldn't, I would have expected some more umlauts or something like that on <laughs> top of it. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. They just called it Bex, but yeah, could be wrong. So Bex, a beer which I myself quite like, it's uh, one of my personal favorites, is originally from a town called Bremen in Germany. Yes. <laughs> Oh. Happy with that. I think that like 15 years ago, they moved the the, the brewery or whatever. They, they I, th- I think today it might be made in America. So mm. I would have accepted also America. But yeah. yes, it's it's definitely a German beer. Def- yeah, marketed as a German beer, nevertheless. Yeah, yeah so. exactly. So because yeah, I, I was, I, I think I did have it once and I, it was a long time ago, but I, I remember I thought it was like a good staple beer. Like if... If it's the only beer around, that would be okay. And um, I, I just remember like reading like and just having this sort of like weird like, why do they call it Bex? Like they could have just gone way more German with it, but um, they just went Bex and it always stood out to me. So, yeah. Um, the next one is Samuel Adams. Mm. Where is Samuel Adams beers from? America, um, I think. I've never heard of that beer, so I'll have to go for that. Samuel Adams. Never heard of that. Sam Adams, I always thought it was a, a great beer, and I recently had it again, and I hated the guts out of it. Yeah. It was a real <laughs> disappointment. Yeah, I put it in the quiz because uh, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Barrio, really likes Sam Adams, and I never got why. Uh <laughs> So are you are you locking in America? Yeah. Samuel Adams is a brewery located in Boston, Massachusetts, the United States. Ooh. Nice job, Barrio. America. One more. Point. See, this is what I'm talking about. We, me and Barrio, are like we complete you know, each other. We complete each other. It's just such a good um, partnership. Next beer. Yeah. Where is Corona Extra from? Oh yeah, Mexico. China. <laughs> no, no, oh jeez, no. that's that B-roll. <laughs> that's a that's a B-side. No, no, no. B-sides. <laughs> the correct answer is not China. No, no, of course it's not. China. It's probably like I saw in Mexico Corona all the time, so I would always assume it's a Mexican beer. Yeah, yeah. I'm a hundred percent sure it's from Mexico. Oh, right, so you guys are locking in Mexico? Yeah. Yes. Corona is a pale lager. From Mexico. Yes. Uh, the company who owns Corona is actually Belgian, but uh, but obviously Corona is a Mexican beer. No, no, no doubt about it. We don't care who owns the shares. No, in on no, it. it's just uh, <laughs> kind of a tidbit, kind of an interesting detail. It's definitely a, a Mexican beer. My, my, my what do you guys Corona. think of Corona? I have like, one everyone I know like <laughs> really makes fun of Corona. It, it, it's a good beer, I think. Maybe not the the most interesting beer, but it's fun. If it's I freezing cold, out. it's refreshing. But if not, it kind of taste like piss actually it's it's the first legal beer i've had and it's the most recent beer i've had <laughs> <laughs> i went for a haircut today and and hairdressers in australia like are really getting into this thing where they do more than cutting your hair and <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, that's weird. Uh, that sounds weird, but um, no. But now they start to like they they can make coffees and bring beers and stuff. And the place I go to do like good haircuts, and it's like a chain. And like whatever store you go to in the chain will always be a good haircut. It, it's, it's just not. It's just a very risk free haircut. You're always going to get get a good haircut. But the thing is, there's like always a complimentary drink, which obviously is not complimentary because like they're baking that into the price somehow. If they're not, it's not like a charity. That that part of the business is a (laughs) not-for-profit. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't know how it works, but you're paying like it's almost like, oh, well, you know, sit here and the electricity is on us. You know what I mean? Like. (laughs) <laughs> it just seems like a very weird thing to say complimentary but anyway so you always get a beer and often like i just go in and it's like wednesday afternoon and it's just such an odd time but like now i've been trying to schedule them so to make them more conducive for the beer so i'll do them like later in the day or like on like a weekend or something like that but um but yeah, you always get a beer, and um, yeah, that like the beer selections. Like, I mean, it's 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 the beer selection you'd expect at a hairdresser, so it's not great. But um, they do Corona, and Corona, I I think is you can quote me on this. A, a, a Corona does well in a hairdresser. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like a single purpose beer for me. Like, it's, yeah, that's you know, I can. It's, totally... it's got it. It's got its time, yeah. its place. Next up, this one's a bit of a. Trick question. Mm. Where is Foster's Lager from? Foster's. Okay. No idea. I haven't had one, but I've heard of it a lot. And it seems like a trashy, like, American beer. Like, a can't believe you're drinking Foster's kind of thing. I have nothing against Foster's. I've never had it. Do you remember what the label looks like? No. I'm... <sighs> No. It's like the the label is blue. Okay. Um uh, it has a huge big red O mm-hmm. on the middle and because like I I'm going to give you a hint it it has a, a little red kangaroo on it. So uh... mm. Honestly <laughs> like I feel a bit disingenuous if I change my original opinion but I thought it sounded super American, Foster's, you know, but um yeah. 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 So I I'm not going to give you guys this one. This one uh, William and Ralph Foster, two Irish brothers who immigrated to Australia, started brewing the beer in Melbourne wow. in 1889. Mm. Yeah, and like I said, the bottle even has a red kangaroo in the middle of it. Melbourne do um, mm. a lot of beers, but um, not all of them make them their way here. Mm, really? Yeah. Kind of makes sense. It's a huge, huge place, Australia. It I've is, had yeah. Foster's once in Austria, which uh, was kind of confusing. I was in this Australian bar in Austria, and, mm. and I kept confusing between Austria and Australia, and... I mean, Austria, but it's an Australian bar, Australian beer, Australian beer. <laughs> kind of, a, had a had a moment there. I'm sure I can find one. Yeah. In terms of Australia, like I technically where I live in Perth is connected in like we're we're on the same board, you know, like we're all connected. Yeah. Except for Tasmania, but let's ignore that for <laughs> for this purpose. But the thing is, the travel distance is so far, like, you know, between Perth and Melbourne. Like, it, it, to drive it, it would take you, like, many, many days. So, it's kind of like living in Hawaii or what I imagine mm. living in Hawaii is. Like, you just, you're not in, in contact with the main tribe, you know. You're kind of a bit of a distant civilization. Yeah. All right, next up. Where is 
Carlsberg from? Oh, mm. that one seems straightforward. Um, to me. I think I know this one. Me too. Do you want to? Do you want to? There's a converse? brewery in Amsterdam. Is it Heineken or Carlsberg? Can I Google this? Uh, I, no. Uh, what? No, definitely not. <laughs> no, okay. I'm joking. But I, I think for, I'm with 90% assuredness that Carlsberg is from England. But um, they, I think they did an ad which was uh, mocked by a few people. And it was like, oh, I actually can't even remember the ad. But it was just like a, like they could, they were like, oh, ma- probably not the best beer in the world or something like that. Like it was like trying to be humble or something like that but like but they were asked but still pretty good or something like that i can't even remember what it was but i remember carlsberg's motto i think is probably the best beer in the world yeah this is probably so they're not yeah okay okay so it works the other way say probably so they they kind of they're not that modest (laughs) like even just admitting you're not the only beer that exists is actually more humble (laughs) than i expect so and also it's always on like the like the soccer people's and the rugby people's sort of Guernseys for England. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm I'm ninety percent sure that it's um, English. You guys have to make a joint uh, decision. Mm, I'll go. I'll go with Peter. Okay. Yeah, pressure. So you on guys me. are going with England. Yes. Right. Yeah. Carlsberg, as you mentioned, it's self-titled as probably the best beer in the world. It's from Copenhagen or Copenhagen, Denmark. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Mario. No, it's fine. I, I said Amsterdam, <laughs> so it, it was a mistake. Might as well. not be again. It might not be the most exciting beer out there, but I always really liked it. Mm, interesting. It does feel like very entwined with England somehow, but you don't have to have an English sponsor for English things. It's it's more common, That's right. but yeah. Next up, where is Poliner from? Poliner. Um, I want to say. Austria. Let me know if you don't know what it might be. It's just out of interest. No, I don't think I know what it is. So this one is on Barrio. Oh, no. <laughs> I want to go with Austria. Uh, Peter, do you have any objections? No. Always trust your first intuition. Uh, that's good. That's a good strategy. <laughs> Poliner is a wheat beer, which is a type of beer I don't drink often. And it's from Munich, Germany. Oh, ah. so no, that's close. Yeah, that's it, close. it is. We're six beers in. And you guys have got three right so far. All right, we're on track to pass. This is a beer I'm going to have. I'm not really sure how to pronounce. I know Barrio know it, so I've allowed myself to ask it. Uh, I don't know if it's big in Australia. But where is Maritzus from? Maritzu. M-A-R-E-D-S-O-U-S. Maritzu. Hmm. Or maybe it's Maritzu. Ah, I know, I know. Uh, Belgium. For sure. Maybe I see these beers, but I just don't recognize them because I have no idea what that is. Barrio is saying Belgium, right? Yes. Peter, is your intuition uh, that Barrio correct or is he wrong? Belgium is a country and I'm happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> Lower, lo- lowering the standards. If you said Paris or something like that, I would have been concerned. Well done. You, got, you guys have got it right. It is Belgium. I think it's the most famous Belgian one, but I'm not exactly sure. Uh, okay, now the, we have three beers left, and there's a theme here. There's something connecting all three beers, okay? So let's go over the three, and you tell me where they're from and what the theme that's connecting them. Ready? Uh, yeah, yeah. The first one is Heineken. Heineken. Well, there is a <laughs> there is a brewery in Amsterdam. Yeah, I thought it this was going to be easy, that but... Heineken is from, um, is from Holland. That sounds right. That sounds very right. No, Holland seems you, right. Are you good with that? Yeah, Holland seems right. Cool. All right, so 
Heineken is a lager from the Netherlands, which Holland is a part of. There's a brewery, as Barrios said, probably not the only one, but there is a brewery in Amsterdam, which I visited once. So you guys have this right. Well done. The next one is, this one is another kind of a trick question. Where is Gold Star from? Yeah, it's a trick question. No, nah, I the, the the last trick question was Foster's, and I thought I I thought Peter would get Foster's immediately because it's Australian. So I I wanted to balance the game a bit, so I went with Gold Star. Peter, do you want to guess where Gold Star is from? Um, <laughs> I, I I've disappointed you both dearly, but I've never heard of Gold Star. Either. Yeah, it makes sense that you, yeah that it, you want here. But... Well, you know Israel creates beers, pulls them from the ether. <laughs> yes. Maybe one of the worst beers, in my opinion. <laughs> I actually kind of like it. I can't drink it. So, one last one, and then we'll, I'll ask you again about the theme of the last three ones. Where is Stella Artois from? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, getting this, I'm getting this terrible feeling, right? You say a name of a beer. I know the beer. And I go, yes, I love that beer. And then I realize I have no <laughs> idea where that's from. I just love the beer. <laughs> Oh boy! Well, you guys have got to, I've seen some to, ads. to work on this I've one seen together. Some ads. And okay, Artois, right? It doesn't. It doesn't feel German to me. Oh, yeah, it doesn't feel German. Just the name of it. It feels French, but that actually doesn't sound right off the tongue. A French beer, but damn, I do recall a few ads, and I just wish I focused more. Have you got any thoughts, Barrio? It's, it's kind of like a stock-up beer. Yes, yes, it is. It's kind of like um, a Ferrero Rocher commercial. Yeah, 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 that nailed it. (laughs) And and the thing is, when you when you like when you do the cap, you get like the white, like the the paper over it, so it's like it looks weird. Like it's not just a clean bottle; it has like that white wrapping over the top. Yeah, here here as well. Give me give me. A well-educated guess. We need to give him a country. Um, At some point, yeah. Uh, I, I I don't think it's a French beer. I just it it it's right for the, the the name fits, but the I just don't know any like French. French is, is a weird country to do a beer. Can I Google translate Artois? Or how- now let me Google it myself and see what it means first. <laughs> it's baguette. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me let me read it to you. Stella Artois translation from Google. In French, Stella oh. is star, and Artois is the name of the region in northwestern France. Oh, so, well, so it sounds it. French. <laughs> Are you guys going to go with France? Yes. Uh, look, yes. <laughs> I feel like you've yes. I'm I'm very sorry to say that Stella Artois is a Belgian beer. Oh, no. yeah. Now, let, let's talk about the last three beers. There's something connecting those. There was Heineken from the Netherlands. There was Gold Star from uh, from Israel. And there's Stella Artois, a Belgian beer, which remember the, 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 the meaning of the name, the translation of the name, Stella Artois. Stella, a star, and Artois is a region in northern France. Right. What connects those three beers? It's, it's some sort of star thing star. going on. Yeah, there's a star. But- some I, sort of star I just thing. Don't understand that what is the, correct. The Heineken star is. Stella Artois. Stella is in the name means star in Latin. It's referring to the Christmas star or Stella. 
maybe in French and Latin as well. I haven't written his Latin, but it's referring to the Christmas star. Gold star obviously has star in its name and in its logo, and Heineken has a red star in its logo. Oh, yeah, they do. So they all have something to do with stars. Hmm. And out of those 10 beers, you guys got six correct. Aye, not, not the we worst. Passed. Uh, <laughs> passed. <laughs> so, Sleepless in Seattle starts in Chicago and ends up in New York with a love interest from Maryland. So, <laughs> to be fair, most of the characters are not asleep for the duration. Uh, the story starts with a call from Jonah and... Jonah gets on the phone to tell the world his dad is a loner. <laughs> Top job. <laughs> After the passing of Maggie, Jonah's dad, Sam, is grief-stricken. And Jonah feels as though he needs um, him, his dad, needs to find another partner. Unlike our podcast, the radio station segment um, <laughs> that Jonah uh, dupes his dad into going on to reaches... Thousands, thousands <laughs> of mostly unmarried women. <laughs> One particular <laughs> woman being Annie Reid. <laughs> so, Annie is a reporter, a reporter with resources. After hearing the radio segment featuring Sleepless in Seattle, by coincidence, also the name of the movie, Annie jettisons her marriage plans and seeks to find her mystery man. Actually, she half asses her engagement for a while until... <laughs> Jumping ship finally to Sam at the end. True romance. Anyway, on Sam's side, a letter or evidence in another part of the multiverse is received at the Sam residence and Jonah scripts a reply on the unwilling behalf of Sam. The response confirms a meeting with Annie on the top of the Empire State Building set on New Year's Eve. Worked for Harry. After missing each other on the first pass, Jonah and Sam return to the top of uh, the Empire State Building to collect Jonah's bag as the thief is spotted carrying out a crime. <laughs> <laughs> the thief is Annie and Sam and Annie fall in love at second sight. Uh, did I skip the bit where Annie steps in front of an 18-wheeler in front of Sam and then his girlfriend? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so yeah, they fall in love at second sight and movie over. Is that a good summary? <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah. You got all the all the important points down. <laughs> all the important bits. They get together literally at the end of the movie. And like this is the first time they actually like really speak to each other. Then they hold hands and the movie is done. Yeah. So really, when Harry met Sally was more like when Harry got to know Sally. Then And this one is really more of like the... When, when Sam, Sam met, Annie. met Annie. I mean, like, How I Met Your Mother is about meeting her at the end, like yeah. last episode or whatever. So, yeah, I feel like um, we can just go ahead and rename those movies. Yeah, the thing is, a lot of the movie is about, like, the the magic of, you know, just knowing that it's true love. You, can't, you know, they, they mention it a few times. I feel like I'm saying it a lot in, in, in the podcast, and I think it's a good sign. But again, this movie surprised me. I, I, I had a feeling it's about completely something else i don't know i i thought it was a more of a rebelling youths in seattle yeah dude <laughs> i actually had that same feeling really i had that same feeling <laughs> really yeah i thought it was like because the only thing i know about seattle is that it's not in any of the good bits and it had kurt cobain <laughs> <laughs> so i just assumed it was a bunch of like disadvantaged youths finding love 
behind a yeah. dumpster or something like that. You know, I didn't think it was like, <laughs> I didn't think it was like this grown up mature thing. Yeah. And, and I got to say the moment, like the very beginning where Sam and Jonah. The first start is in a graveyard. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. It's, it's this. Are you expecting like, like a love story with punk music in the background and a lot of like skateboards and stuff? Yeah. yeah I, I, you know what? I don't know. Well, not Rebel Without a Cause, but maybe something a bit more modern. But still in uh, some sort of that, that mm-hmm. vibe. But anyway, like from the first second, it was very different. And, uh, you know, his whole mourning process and, uh, and how he's re- relocating to Seattle. And on the other side, what's McRyan's character's name? Annie. Annie. She's actually really happy with uh, Walter, her fiance. And they're going to her family and... And you, you kind of like get the vibe that, you know, obviously they're not meant to stay together because Walter is not a main character, but but uh, he's also like very sickish and, and allergic to everything, uh, which is yeah. not like, uh, you know, love interest material. So what's interesting is that these are like completely two different stories. Obviously, they're associated with each other, but they didn't really yeah. have to be. It meets at, at the end and most of Annie's stories about Sam, but like, it's a very, it's a very small part. I don't know. That's what I got. Mm. Like, like he got on a radio show and he got a lot of attention and people hear him because he's such a uh, romantic guy. I don't know. It's, it's really generic. They have like these two very separate stories that starts to get closer and closer, mainly because of Annie, because of the crazy stalker that she is. (laughs) And the fact that she's actually willing to, well, in retrospective, I guess she's not really content with her life. Like she's finding an excuse to to go and try something else, which is kind of like what I think she says to Walter at the end, where they break off the engagement. So, long story short, something with the pace of the movie didn't really sit right. It's it's a cute movie. I kept hearing about the great chemistry that that uh, McRyan and. Uh, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks has on screen, but they weren't on screen together. <laughs> I know. That is odd. Yeah. It could have I been think... a green screen in that last one. They had so little time together, it could have been done. Yeah. I, I think that like they played together in a, in a couple of other movies and, and people say that they work really well. Yeah. They were. They played together in this one. You've got Mail, I think. And I don't remember there which was, was the last one. There were scenes with Jonah and his girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> So you're saying the movie didn't really work for you? Um, it felt like a good concept, but kind of a miss at the end. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes though, uh, you speak about a movie and you go, "Yeah, it's an eight out of ten movie." Then you go on to like, you know, pour your heart out about it, and then a non will be like, "So you didn't like it that much?" And like, you thought you liked it, and then when you go to iterate how <laughs> much you liked it. And you start bringing up all the flaws and a non just perfectly like holds up a four sign like in gymnastics. And you think, <laughs> what? Like, I thought it was better than that. <laughs> so, it's actually hard to convey exactly how you feel about it on first pass sometimes. Yeah, but, yeah definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Like, going into it, I definitely had like a different impression of it. Like, I didn't envision any of like what happened. Like, usually I get like sort of an idea. Like, with Clueless, I kind of kind of knew a little bit you know like a, a teenage movie you kind of figured um uh, love actually i actually I, w- I was surprised about how many plot points there were but yeah. it, 
the movie didn't actually surprise me that much. It was just a very good movie. And um, When Harry Met Sally is pretty much what I expected upon in retrospect, to be honest. Uh, this one did surprise me. I thought there was going to be just many, many scenes with uh, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. Yeah, but, uh, same here. <laughs> it was more of like a How I Met Your Mother-based thing where it was just that's the payoff at the very end. And um, on Sam's side with Sam and Jonah, I did like that storyline. I thought it was interesting. Like, there was no, like, bad character. There was no, like, villain at all in that in that side of the story. Like, because Sam wants to find someone. Jonah wants to find someone. I guess you could say at times, like, Sam's girlfriend at the time was the, kind of the villain in some ways. Like, if, if Sam was with her, he probably would have been settling in the same way Meg Ryan's character, Annie, would have been settling. Um, it wasn't as clear that it was a settle because sometimes, like, it did seem as though he liked her, but Jonah didn't. But I, I think I think the intention was to show that it would have been a settling kind of thing. And Jonah sometimes um, did seem like a little bit of the villain trying to, like, respond to the crazy stalkers and, you know, flying off and stuff. So, like, but in general, it was, like, very positive. Oh, I mean, as positive as it, you know, could be. But on Annie's side, on some sense, it was very cute. And it's like, oh, you know, like I heard someone in the radio. Let's use like resources to find out who they are and where they live and all those details, which is kind of like if if that's not well received, like it, or if the guy did that, I think that would be more questionable you know what i mean like it's yeah. it seems good that it's like it worked out in the end but I, I i can see that being sort of villainous in some ways but then also the like was she kind of taking her fiance like advantage of him like wasting his time in some sense and like i think the ethics on meg ryan's side was much more murky but what I did like about her side and why I thought actually maybe her side of the story was more interesting was that they didn't play the guy off as totally like distraught, like totally like, oh, I can't believe you led me on. But he also didn't get the villain thing where like he started to like show why the marriage wasn't going to work. Like he played it pretty down the middle in my conception of it like he when they ended it he he was saying like you know I don't want to be the person you settle for I don't want anyone to settle for me I I want to be like the Tom Hanks yeah uh, in another <laughs> scenario so and I thought that was just a very mature way to handle it and then Annie I think she said this line where she says like oh I don't deserve you and stuff like that which is like actually on retrospect like that is kind of true like because she kind of had it all and then you know listens to a radio segment and you know like she doesn't cut the engagement off like straight away which is understandable like you that would be kind of drastic but then she does like stay with him while she's looking like the the whole being in new york bit like booking a flight to potentially meet someone else when you're with someone that was to me very um questionable but yeah so both sides were interesting I, I would say I probably like Meg Ryan's side a little bit more and um I, I do wish they were more intertwined they were at, at times but I, I'm not saying I've been led on by the movie to think like oh they should have met in the first half hour and it should just been them building chemistry but um I yeah I did feel a little bit like there was some 
like that was part A or something, you know, like there was more to the story, but um, yeah. You guys almost took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say, I didn't love this movie. I, I, I'm glad we've watched it. I enjoyed watching it and I'm glad we're talking about it, but I had an issue with this movie and like the way I got it, the story of the movie relies a lot about like love at first sight. You know, they kept mentioning mm. how Sam, the first time he touched Maggie's hands, he just knew it was like magic, you know? And about getting signs from the universe, like a lot of times in the movie, Mag Ryan's character, Annie and Sam, they kind of ended up the sentence on the same word, you know, they kind of completed each other's sentences, even though they weren't in the same room. And when Annie, she's wearing her grandma's wedding dress and it, it breaks, yeah. you know, Annie's kind of looking for signs from the universe. And the movie relies a lot about just knowing when something is per is perfect and, and the magic in all of it. And I felt it clashed a bit with the setting of the story, which wasn't set in like a fairy tale land. It took place in our regular normal world. And that kind of felt weird. I, I felt like I had to really suspend my disbelief to enjoy the story. And I had to do that to a level that is just beyond the point of like when it's acceptable, you know? Like, mm. for example, the first time I watched the movie, I kept being distracted by thoughts like, love doesn't work that way. Like the fact that it's not magical on the first moment doesn't mean anything. There's no way two nice, sane, attractive persons will actually find themselves in this situation. Like basically the story didn't really make sense to me. And on the second time I watched it, I decided to look at the movie as if it, as if I was watching like a fairy tale movie. And I accepted everything about true love and, and signs from the universe and stuff. And, and it was fun, you know? But then the, the story didn't really mean anything to me. I had nothing to connect with really. It just became like a, a meaningless, cute movie. And, you know, I know that every story that is worth telling is out of the ordinary in a way, and it takes some suspense of disbelief, but this was too much for me. After the first time I watched it, I was a bit confused by it, but I did kind of like it. I, I like the style, I like the dialogues, I like the acting and the, the whole feel of the movie, but I can't say that it really connected with this movie and that it made a, a really strong impact mm -hmm. on me. You know? yeah. I gotta say, regarding the, the, the disbelief, which I completely agree with you, do you remember that part? They're watching this movie a couple of times throughout the movie where, where they keep saying that that movie ends when it's the two main characters supposed to meet at the top of the Empire State Building? The movie that they watched in the movie. Yeah. An affair to remember, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There, there's actually a line in... You know, in, in Sleepless in Seattle, where they're saying, oh, you're not looking for love, you're looking for movie love. Mm -hmm. That kind of even grounds it even more, which, you know, at first I thought, well, this is nice. Like, we're not looking for movie romance, like, or movie movie love, because, you know, they, they literally pointed it out that it's not realistic. But then the entire movie is actually is about it. So, mm. yeah. Okay, I've narrowed my criticism down to one main point, right? It's that when we watch the movie, we see a lot of kind of character building on each side. So, like, the main point that a pin on my... Or not even... This isn't really character building, but there's the bit where Sam is explaining how his his wife could peel, like, an apple or something like that in one long kind of... Pieces real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Couldn't really phrase that better. But um, Would you then, know who could do it as well? Uh, what's her name? Annie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a bit I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> you bastard. And, and like the bit that we're meant to get as the viewer is like, oh my God, they're just, 
made for each other. Like, look at her peeling that out. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's it's just made for it. But the thing <laughs> is, when they meet, they have none of that context. You know what I mean? Like, there's people I'm sure that I meet on the street or don't meet but walk by on the street that do all the kinky stuff that I like. <laughs> they, but we don't actually get to that point. That's the name of the episode. All the kinky stuff that I like. <laughs> there's no, there's no, no reason. <laughs> but ordinarily, right, that's as far as it goes. Like, it's just people share the same interests. Like, there's people yeah. that, like, go for my football team and also, like, like podcasts and drink gin. But the thing is, like, there's no support group for that where we meet. You know what I mean? Like, it, it for them, all these things would have been operating in the background. Like, they could have been a perfect fit. And most likely, they actually were because we saw what that what they were looking for independently. You know what I mean? Like, so, we would go into Annie's life and we'd be like, oh, you know, this is what I want. And we'd go into Sam's life and he'd be like, you know, this is what I want. And yeah. they were a good fit. But the thing is, they wouldn't have known that. There's absolutely no reason to think, like, they had that knowledge. Like, if they watched the movie... Yeah, but when they handheld, it was like magic, so... Uh... Yeah, it doesn't sit right with me because there's just always going to be people out there like that, but you're not going to know who they are. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's yeah, the whole point. Exactly. So... It, it kind of felt like the, the storyteller of the movie, like, the you know, the metaphorical person from whose point of mm-hmm. view we watched the story was a bit crazy, <laughs> was a bit, uh, a bit insane. Yeah. Let me talk about Meg Ryan's character in acting quickly because I thought it was uh, maybe maybe another character, but I, the acting was kind of a high point. Mm, like I don't I think that Annie's character was the best character we've seen. You know, if you compare it to the four last kind of rom coms mm-hmm. we've watched or in any other like movie, it's 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 a cute character. It's fine, but it like it's such an obvious comparison to compare Annie's character to Sally from When Harry Met Sally. Not only because yeah. both of them are Meg Ryan characters, uh, but also when Harry Met Sally was also written by Nora Ephron. And I thought Annie wasn't as charming as Sally, but it was an okay character. She she really was looking for signs from the universe about how to live a life, which might be why I didn't connect with her too much. But but she was she was really fun. I, I really liked her. But in terms of acting, there were a couple of scenes in, in, in the movie in which Meg Ryan was the only one in the shot, and her character was like listening to a dialogue on the radio between Dr. Marsha and, and Sam, uh, Tom Hanks' character. So, like, those scenes usually took a few minutes, and she was the only thing on the screen. Like, in one of those scenes, she was driving a car in the middle of the night, so everything around her was literally black, and for a few minutes there, the only visual thing to look at was was her face. And she wasn't even a part of the dialogue, you know? She was listening to the radio. And I think it's it's a bit risky to shoot something like that because it's really very, very easily could turn into something really boring. But, man, her silent reactions were so good. Like, I couldn't take my eyes off of her. She she really held my attention, you know? She was, like, reacting to, to, to the, the, the dialogue she was listening to. And I thought she did such a good job with that. I think, yeah, in that scene and just throughout the movie in general, I don't remember praising it all that much in When Harry Met Sally, but it holds true that uh, she's just fantastic in this kind of role. Yeah. Um, I didn't really form this um, thought 
in when Harry met Sally, but it's kind of come a little bit to me now, is that her character feels like she inspired quite a bit in um, Rachel's character in Friends. Hmm, like, that's interesting. It's a very relatable character. I think um, Rachel is one of the more relatable characters in, in the series, but um, they all are at some points, but definitely like later in the series... Uh, as she's kind of discovering her career and stuff like that. But um, I think what Meg Ryan does uh, well is you feel like there's not much... um, Actors and actresses usually bring in quite a few, like, quirks of the character. And obviously, if you're going into a role and you've just played, you know, some politician and then you're going into, like, a widow and stuff like that, like, obviously, like, you have to change up the character a lot. But hers feel, because she is playing similar characters, hers feel dialed in, in a way that a lot of other characters don't. Like, some characters you can kind of, like, you have, like, this sixth sense of acting. You know what I mean? Like, you feel like um, you can smell the acting a little bit. But with Meg Ryan, it feels very, very genuine. You know what I mean? It feels... very natural. It feels very natural. So, and I... Uh, like this is just a um, intuition, but I I think um, some actors do the whole play someone radically different in every movie. You know what I mean? And they yeah. and they just transform, right? And they almost do a little bit of method acting in terms of like they get really into character. But then other people actually do a similar thing in terms of they do the method acting, but they're not changing character. They're actually staying as the same characters. And they're changing very little. But the thing is, their movements feel much more dialed in, much more natural. I think, like, another example of someone who does this is, like, a Jeff Goldblum. He plays very similar kind of roles. Or even if there are slightly different roles, he'll play them in a similar way. Like, his his movements, his, his vibe, his energy is all sort of playing in a similar key across Mm -hmm. movies and that sounds like a bad thing but i actually think it's a really good thing it's like when a band released like an album that's like almost could be an add-on to another album they've done but if it's different melodies different songs different beats different lyrics but it still does sound connected i think that's fine i think that's good you know because you're kind of locked into it and you know how to play it really well and i do feel like i maybe preferred her performance in When Harry Met Sally, but I think some of that is conditioning for, like, how good that movie was, and this one probably didn't hit those heights. Yeah. So, yeah, in general, I think I'm, I would say um, her acting was maybe the high point, maybe the high point, in this movie at least. Yeah, I think me. so as well. So, let me let me ask you about the, the, the ending of the movie, because, like, throughout the movie, Sam and Annie are mostly unknowingly moving towards each other in a way. Right down near the end, they both arrive at the Empire State Building. And just as Sam and Joan are taking the elevator to go down from the observation deck, just as the doors are closing, uh, Annie's elevator reaches the top of the building and they kind of miss each other. And at that point, I thought for a second, okay, so they're going for the, the kind of logical ending. The characters are going to miss each other never even met, and they'll realize it was all a bit kind of dumb, move on with their lives, and, and, you know, find happiness somewhere else. And I was kind of hoping for that twist, because I was hoping for the mm. characters to be happy, obviously. I like both of them, and, and Jonah. 
but I thought it was a good twist to end the movie with. But but that that's not what happened. Instead, they end up meeting because Jonah forgot his backpack on the observation deck. Annie and Sam hold hands, and it's like magic and they can't look away from each other and they can't stop smiling and it's a happy ending not a bad ending but like like i said uh, the movie didn't make any sense it, it wasn't logical to me the, the story didn't at all and so i kind of thought okay they're, they're they're not going for the happy expected ending uh but maybe maybe that was just me what what do you guys think of the ending like it's hard to have a, a clear opinion about it it's a bit do sex machina it's magic yeah you know it's 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 magic in a way that it's not it doesn't really have anything to do with the journey that the characters have have passed in the in the movie well i guess and the fact that they missed each other but they got back because of the of the bag well i guess it 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 kind of relates to uh what uh, and his mother say like imagine how she and her f- and her husband and his father met like that he was a waiter and he wasn't even supposed to he work was, there it was today. supposed to be his day yeah. off imagine yeah. what would happen if it, he if he wasn't there that day again it it all feels like they're forcing the the, the magic of everything you know and like it has to be it 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 was meant for each other mm-hmm. you know they were mm-hmm. meant for each other yeah and, i didn't i didn't love the whole lifts missing each other coming back maneuver like that didn't add anything at all. The only like thing it, it maybe added was to give them like the, the the observation deck to themselves. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, but they did. They played around a lot with um, the whole like, oh, isn't chance weird? You know what I mean? <laughs> and I couldn't get on board. I gotta say that if if they would have missed each other, right, and there was another scene of them meeting in in some more likely place like the, in in the correspondence they they talk about like this uh, ball player yeah. that yeah, they think the is the best or something like that or whatever i don't know anything about baseball yeah yeah so if like they would have missed each other in in the elevators but meet like i don't know the next day you know that guy giving out aut- autographs mm. or something like that that would have been nice you know because it has something to do with what they actually like. Like, even meeting in the Empire State, it's just like a romantic fantasy. They, it's not like they had some special connection to the Empire State Building, other than the, the movie. Totally agree. I think, like, when I think about, the, about the, the two characters, we basically don't know anything about them. You know, like, even after watching the movie, we don't really know anything more about, like, mm. yeah, Sam has a kid, and he's an architect, and he has a friend who he eats lunch with, and basically that's it and about annie you know she 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 has a family she's she's from baltimore she's engaged to walter we don't really know anything about their personalities so instead of like all of that magic stuff all of that looking for sign stuff maybe develop the characters a bit more and have them connect over over like something that they both have in common, kind of like Barry mentioned. It, it would have made like the premise of the the movie, the fact that the, like Annie hears Sam on the radio and she kind of falls for him, and like she can't get him off of her mind. That's all fine. That's a very interesting concept. I think it's a it's an interesting premise for a movie. But if they'd have something common to connect about, to connect over maybe maybe it would have taken some of the magic away from it because they were more of a fit but it would have made so much more sense and the the movie 
I, I connect with the movie much more, I think. Obviously, I know nothing about storytelling. I don't know anything about stuff like that. But I feel like, you know, I watched a love story, which was very illogical about two people that, while I did like, I don't know anything about them. Like, there's no, nothing to connect with, I think. Or very little mm. to connect with. What do you guys think? Yeah, it's like lo- watching a very long, drawn-out um, movie of two people swiping right. Yeah. Again, it's just a fairy tale. Like, when you when you watch a fairy tale, you end up not really knowing too much about the, the, the characters. So maybe maybe they either should have leaned in to the, the fairy tale stuff and literally make a fairy tale, or just make it a bit more logical and, and personal and give us more info about the characters and what they're like and, you know, who they are. I've got a way to fix it. What you do is... You sort of have them, because you know how they were sort of stalking each other, or it's more so Annie onto Sam. They should have done something where it was more like maybe she goes to see him and then she leaves like, you know, she's like, oh, I can't find you, never mind, and leaves like an apple peel or something like that. And then he sees her as she's leaving, sees the apple peel, and then, like, they kind of have all these chance encounters <laughs> where they, like, you know, just miss each other. Like, they see each other on the train, and then they miss, and they haven't exchanged details. Like, so <laughs> he's on the train, and he sees, like, that. a perfectly peeled apple, and he's like, who peeled this? Who peeled this? <laughs> You'd have to <laughs> add a few story, other- <laughs> but with apple peel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you'd have to add in a few other tropes, but, um, yeah. you know, yeah. have one of those things where it's, like, play with the chance element, but make it more interesting. Like, make it more... Like, um, you, you get on a train and then you see her and you're like trying to get off the train and you can't do it and do just do a montage of all of those moments, you know, like, and then like have this bit where they meet up and they don't know they're meeting up because they haven't got details. They meet up and they go, oh my God, it's the apple peel lady. And then, <laughs> you know, and then fall in love it that way. Cause then it's like, it's just been building. But this one was more just like one of the leads panned out with like the letter lady, you know, like <laughs> it just felt like um, they tried to play with the whole chance thing, like the whole, oh, can you believe two lifts, one building? But like <laughs> it, it didn't, it didn't, didn't really matter that much. I mean, like, you know, it just, it would have been another letter and it would have been like, missed you, <laughs> you know, like try again <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Do you think that the, the like, they could have maybe took out all the part where Annie goes to Seattle and she kind of watches Jonah and Sam playing yep. from her hiding spot. Yep. And her friend mailed her letter. She got a letter back from Jonah. Maybe maybe they could have wrote those letters in a way that would make her write another letter back instead of mm. all that creepy, a bit too stretched out part where she goes to Seattle. I don't know. I, I didn't like that part. Kind of weird. Yeah, I think they could have <laughs> even done that like so cut out the seattle stalking and then do like a thing where it's like oh yes i love women from maryland like this <laughs> is going to be great and like, you know written like a six-year-old and then post it off and she's like oh yes uh and then like sort of go like how you know and then like she kind of figures out that it's the six-year-old and then she's like yeah you know, what does your dad think? And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, he's, you know. Totally into you. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> so, like, I don't know. They could have done, like, a thing where she finds out 
that she was talking to the six-year-old and then she kind of gets like the inside baseball on him like just before the meeting and you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, it's more of like a Jonah-Annie collaboration. That would have been cool, but yeah. yeah. Pretty much anything else than what they landed on. Yeah. <laughs> Any other variation. Yeah. Just pick anyone. <laughs> what do you guys think of, like, I think, Peter, you mentioned it, but what do you think of Walter? I felt sorry for Walter. Felt bad for Walter. He seems like a really nice guy. He had his downsides, but he seems fun, like, all in all. He kept joking around with people. He really loved Annie. He was enlightened. Yeah, he took it really well. <laughs> yeah, that, that actually made me appreciate him even more because, he, as, as he said, it was all, he was nice and fun going and, and polite. And even when she broke up with him, like, he, he knows his worth. I thought, like, they, they made it that way so that Annie would feel okay going to, to meet Sam. But, I mean, after all the time they spent together, the moment Annie said she wants to end things, he basically smiled and said, Oh, yeah, okay, it was nice knowing you. You know, have a nice life. But, man, yeah. any other th- person... Th- thank you for, for getting my ring back. Yeah. <laughs> my mother's ring back. Like, I just offered you to marry me. I gave you my mother's ring. You now return it and go to the hands of another yeah. man. But, yeah, I'm, I'm cool. Instead of him, I would have had so many questions I wanted answered. And there's so much to do i don't know it, it just can break things off in five sentences and then everything's okay again i i, I again it it was part of the fairy tale for me mm-hmm. I, I realize he was a side character and his reaction isn't too important for the story i, I get it but it was another thing that kind of distracted me in the movie and also i feel a bit sorry for victoria because if you think about it forget about the fact that she seemed i thought she seemed like a nice girl but and again, she wasn't perfect. With but, a heen of laughter. Yeah, yeah, her laughter was a bit annoying. But other than that, <laughs> she seemed to be making Sam happy. And he, if you remember, he was supposed to go away on a weekend with her when Jonah ran to New York. So, you know, she, she was probably waiting for, for a phone call from Sam or something about the weekend, about when is he coming to pick her up or if it's postponed or anything. And mm-hmm. obviously the weekend was most likely canceled because Sam went off to, to New York. But... Once Sam and Jonah came back from New York, Sam has probably ended things with her. Yeah, that's rough. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah, again, it's not the worst thing. She's she's even more of a side character than Walter. But still, kind of, she was cute. I liked her. And she was really into <laughs> Sam. Yeah. And imagine yeah. that they were supposed to finally do a, a, a getaway alone without Jonah. And not only yeah. that they cancel it because of Jonah... Sam actually is going to uh, found someone else instead of her in because she let him go after I don't know it's it's such a bummer for her yeah yeah kind of sucks you never think about you know the 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 characters the people get hurt the si- yeah like like in, in <laughs> the collateral damage exa- the collateral damage exactly because like for for the main characters to grow they have to leave someone behind and it just breaks your heart I know. you know. Think about those lift operators <laughs> working so late. Yeah. <laughs> Think about this. Like, Annie and Sam are probably going to end up together for, for the rest of their lives. And Sam just moved to Seattle, so he doesn't have anything like... He's not... He doesn't have too many connections to Seattle. It's just a city for him. But she lives in Baltimore, and she at some point said, I don't want to move to Seattle. So they're probably going to leave Seattle and take Jonah with them to, to live in Baltimore. And then what, what, what's mm. Jessica going to end up with? Jonah's girlfriend, Jessica, who she's going to end up with. She's going to end up alone. Aww. So much collateral damage here. Oh, uh, yeah. 
She's not Damn. his girlfriend. She's girlfriend. I thought she was his girlfriend, but um, I, I thought that well, way because they're, then, they're uh, yeah, they're eight or ten or whatever. But That's as serious as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> I thought she was his girlfriend because when, when what's his name, Sam finds out about them hanging out together, he seemed a bit jealous. <laughs> like, I'm the only one who can't get a girl this house. <laughs> yeah. Her, here's just a, like a small interesting detail. Do you, do you remember the scene in which Sam and Jonah are having dinner with a couple of friends and then Susie, one of their friends, is telling them about the movie and a fair to remember and she kind of starts crying and they make fun of her about it? Yes. Yeah. That actress is Rita Wilson mm. and... She's Tom Hanks' real-life wife. Uh, really? I, I have nothing else to say about it, but yeah, really, she, she's his wife. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Well, you know that in The Office, then Steve Carell's wife is also acting there? Yeah, in, who's she, his she's playing date? his... Carol. Uh, yeah, Carol, his uh, real estate agent. Yeah. Who he ends up dating for a while, yeah. Hmm. Oh, honestly, you know, just to, to kind of summarize my thoughts, I... Thought the premise for the story was an interesting one, but I thought it kind of missed the mark. I thought it relied on too much stuff that I simply don't connect with. I I'm, I might have been expecting more after When Harry Met Sally, which honestly is a movie I loved, mm-hmm. which was written by the same person, uh, directed by the same person. Um, it also had Meg Ryan starring role, so I kind of thought I kind of thought we were in for another like classic rom com. Uh, the 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 bottom line is. I think it's a cute movie, definitely worth the time it takes watching it. Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan are both really charming. Jonah was really cute as well. It's not going to become a personal favorite of mine or anything. And I don't know, I, I, I kind of wanted to see what other people thought about the movie. So I went into YouTube and looked up like reviews of the movie or analysis of the story and stuff. And honestly, usually when I search for analysis or reviews of any movie, it comes up with a bunch of stuff, but for some reason... Maybe it's the algorithm or something, but I, I only could find like two or three reviews by channels who have like less than 1K views per video. And I couldn't find any story analysis videos about the movie. So maybe maybe it's a movie that time kind of forgot. I don't know. It's, I, thought, I thought it was a classic. I heard that name, Sleepless in Seattle, so many times. So I don't know. I don't know. Well, so... The the problem with this movie really is not the direction. It's more so the writing. And even the writing, it's like not the dialogue either. It's like literally just like the plot points. And because she wrote both, I mean, she only directed this one, but she wrote a lot of um, When Harry Met Sally and Sleepers in Seattle. It's not anything that she's particularly done, it, it, you know, because she's obviously capable of writing just a fantastic movie. This one just sort of misses misses the mark a little bit in terms of not even in execution, to be honest. It was just not a super interesting plot to begin with. And it was shot well, like the acting is, is all right. And there's certainly scenes that are good. I'd say in terms of like actual, um, you know, how good were individual scenes, if you kind of pick out the best moments, I don't think they were comparable really to... When Harry met Sally. I don't think so. Yeah. And that really just shows like a lot of what's in the scenes are actually just, you don't see it, but it's actually like the build up. You know what I mean? And the thing is the build up in this one feels odd. It feels almost like an anti-climax at the end. And uh, it just doesn't uh, sort of move all that elegantly. It's um, It sort of stumbles towards the end. Probably yeah. doesn't stick the landing uh, for me. And uh, which is a shame because 
obviously we've seen Meg Ryan and Nora Ephraim collaborating and it, it's been great. But I think it's just, it's good because you, you see like, it's not like it wasn't, a, it wasn't like the winning formula or anything that that made When Harry Met Sally. It was just a well done movie, which takes effort yeah. and not everything's going to be a hit. But yeah, no, it was, it was still enjoyable as well. It wasn't a total right. No, not at all. Not at all. Before going to the Empire State Building, I, I would probably want to watch a marathon regarding that building. And that movie will be in that list. I think it's a great preparation to go to the Empire State Building. But that's not a lot to say about the movie on its own. <laughs> so. There was a nice building in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you can say the same about King Kong. So. Yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah, sure. So, as we do at the end of each step of request, we're going to take a vote that will decide whether or not Sleepless in Seattle has a place in the Culture Quest Essentials Guide, a.k.a. The Quag. We will vote with a gentlemanly... Tip of the hat for yay or an ominous stroke of the mustache for nay. And the vote must be unanimous in order for it to pass. Probably first. Go for it. Mustache stroke over here. <laughs> mustache stroke over here. <laughs> Barrio? Mustache stroker. Same here. Uh, mustache stroker as well. I, I, I just think the movie wasn't great. Just was okay. I don't know. After four rom-com episodes, uh, it's my turn to choose the, the subject of our next episode. And I wanted to go back to the realm of music. And I wanted to do something that would be a bit more outside of our comfort zones in comparison with the stuff that I've picked for us lately. Um, you guys have been more adventurous than me uh, in recent times, I think. So that is why I'm going to go with a Frank Sinatra album. Uh, I, I don't know mm. his work at all, but I'm expecting it to be this kind of classy, smoky, kind of dark kind of jazz, if you know what I mean. The, the album we're going to listen to mm. is from 1955. It's called In the Wee Small Hours. I love that. Bart, you know it? Yes, I love it, but I don't mind. Yeah, how, how well do you know it? Should we maybe choose a different album? Do you know this album very well? Uh, or, uh, is it something you know from your mom? Yeah. By the way, I, I don't know if you chose it, like if it's a coincidence, but specifically this song, The Wee Small Hour, Hours of the Morning, was played repeatedly in this movie in in, exactly. when, in Sleepless in Seattle. Okay. Yeah, this is an album in the We Small Hours uh, by Frank Sinatra. It's an album that I wanted to get into for years now. I've put it in my music library literally like eight years ago, always intending to, to listen to it. And since then, every year or so, I give it like half a listen. I think to myself, this sounds great, but I don't, I don't really have the patience for this right now. And I was recently reminded of the, the this album because the title track from the album is played in Sleepless in Seattle, like Mario just mentioned, or at least a cover of it is played in that yeah. scene in which Annie is having a sleepless night and she's listening to a rerun of the original conversation between um, Dr. Marsha and Sam. Really got me thinking about this album. And like this is an album I plan to listen to for years. So... I don't know, Barry, are you okay with it? Uh, how well do you know this album? Are you, like, very familiar with it? Or, well, uh... I'm, like, I'm not reviewing the song list. I I'm not familiar with, with all of this album. Like, definitely some, like, uh, half the songs about, um, yeah. I'll, be, I'll be happy to do it. I think that's fine. Like, two people haven't heard, or well, I haven't heard it at all. And, I, um, I couldn't recognize you're, you're a song. Well I, just yeah. I tried to give it listens before, but no, I, I couldn't recognize yeah, I one song. I think that's okay. I, I, I wanted 
to choose this uh, album before because it's 16 songs uh, and 40 minutes all in all uh, in length. I thought it might be a bit too much for us, yeah. but we've done long albums before, like Taylor Swift's Folklore is maybe... How long is it? An hour 40? No, 48 minutes. Uh, it's it's not oh, too that's long. that's not that long. Yeah, Taylor Swift's Folklore is like an hour and a bit. Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life is 21 songs. So this one is 16 songs right. long. Each song is about three minutes. So I think it, it, it wouldn't be too long. It could be fine. And... It's supposed to be a very charming album. The music is different than what we're mostly used to listen to. Barrio obviously knows this album better a bit. Um, the album's charm might somewhat rely on the lyrics, which is something we don't usually pay attention to. But I'm going to read the lyrics uh, maybe at least once. Yep. So I'm hoping to find something interesting there. And all in all, I have a good feeling about this. I think we're going to enjoy this. There's album themes in all music. And the, they, they're listing Feeling Blue. Long Walk, Late mm. Night, uh, Reminiscing, Introspection. Uh, I, and in the album moods, they have bleak, uh, gentle, uh, sophisticated, wistful, autumnal, gloomy. I, I think we're going into like a couple of weeks of listening to, you know, like quiet, smoky jazz, middle of the night kind of feel, you know, walking around the middle of the night. And also the cover art was the inspiration to the cover art of Tom Waits' Heart of Saturday Night album, which is one of my personal favorites. Uh, so oh, okay. there's another connection there, yeah. So 1955, Frank Sinatra, jazz. And that's what we're going to be doing next. I don't think I've even really listened to that much jazz, to be honest. Yeah. Probably no more than half an hour. Mm, so gotcha. Should be good. I, I listen to a fair amount of jazz, but not as much to this kind of jazz, you know, to, to, to this. I usually listen to swing and happy stuff and energetic stuff, but this a vocal, lyrical jazz could be very interesting. It's something I mm. always wanted to get into, and it's about time, honestly. I love it. I'm so I'm so excited. It's going to be fun. I I kind of had a hard time choosing a Frank Sinatra album. I because I I wasn't sure if this was like the essential one. Uh, I know this was the one I planned to listen to for years, but I didn't know if it was the best one to go with. I know he has a few albums that are maybe one called Songs for Swinging Lovers, which is considered to be one of his uh, more important ones. But it's like eight songs, twenty one minutes long. So each song is like less than three minutes. Uh, and it's kind of a happier, swinging kind of jazz. And then there are a few albums by him that are like longer and darker and, and quieter and more brooding. So I knew I wanted to go for these ones, but it was kind of a hard one. So, you know, maybe maybe we'll find along the way a, a few other albums that are interesting to listen to. But this is one I really wanted to get into. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for this. Uh, I'm going to take my dog out for a walk right after we finish recording, and I'm going to give it a listen, and I'm going to pay more attention to it than I usually would. Nice. So, thank you, Peter, and thank you, Barrio, for staying true to our goal. And thank you, the listeners at home, for helping us along the latest stage of our quest. We hope that you join us again next episode, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye! Toodaloo! See ya! The Culture Quest Podcast is part of All the People Network. Visit our website at culturequestpodcast.com to contact us or see a list of our upcoming episodes. Follow us on Twitter at CQ underline podcast and tell your friends about us. Find out more information about All the People Network and the other podcasts it includes at allthepeoplenetwork.com. 
Thanks for listening to today's episode. I just wanted to bring to everyone's attention all those people that are currently stuck without their phone and are forced to continue listening to this unless they pause it and then have to contemplate, you know, the state of their life and other things. So, you'll probably just continue listening. I just wanted to give a bit of a shout out to a um, a website, actually. It's called givewell.org. So, that's give, G-I-V-E, well, W-E, double L dot org. So, it's, it's a dot org. So, it's, it's legit. And um, basically, they're the authority on who is worth giving money to in terms of charity. So, obviously, we'll give money to friends and family if they fall on hard times. But if you are thinking about giving large sums of money to um, charities, it's definitely best to do your research because a lot of people just give away money and want to feel good, but it's also good to think of it as an investment and how you can do the most good. So, it's not asking you to give away more money, but it's asking you to give the money away in a responsible way. And um, basically, they've just authorized eight charities. So, out of all the, I want to say hundreds of thousands of charities, might be a bit lower, but they've authorized only eight. And I think it's really good to just scan through the list and um, see if you can consider donating to these charities. So, um, I think that would be good if we can all sort of band together during these tough times. At the moment, it's COVID, but, you know, that will change and we're all going to need to support everyone. So, this is probably one of the best evidence-based ways to do that. So, yeah. So, definitely hop on to givewell.org if you're considering and hopefully those charities are like tax deductible or something in your country, which would be in your best interest. So, anyway, this is not formal advice, but it's just a good place to go. Thank you.